We begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. This wonderful Sunday morning. Uh, I have, okay, you have to do some homework this morning, okay? I want you, so you can get out a pen, get out a pen from in front of you. Grab your bulletin. There's a notes section in your bulletin. This would be a good place to use that. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down the top 10 world-changing inventions. So the top 10 inventions that changed our world. Okay? I already gave you one. You're cheating. Light bulb might be on your list. Maybe some of you are like, no, I don't like light bulbs at all. I don't like electric, right? But in your mind, go through and think through the top 10 inventions that changed our world. Okay? Some of you are looking at me like, done. I did it in two seconds. All 10, no arguments. <laughs> Some of you keep writing, keep thinking. Top 10 inventions. Um, and I would, I'll make it even easier. You don't, it doesn't necessarily have to be like 1 to 10 as in 1 the most influential versus 10. Let's just say 10 of the most world-changing inventions our world has seen. Is that, that's a little more fair, right? So. Now, I'll give you a little bit of background. Um, the ones that I found have been compiled and, and brought together from several different sources, reputable sources on the internet. <laughs> okay, okay. So, yeah, so just saying, I'm just saying, it's, this is pretty high scholarly stuff going on here. So I'll give you another few seconds to write some down. You cannot, yeah, someone said, can you go more than 10? You can, but you're not getting any extra credit, so I'm sorry, this isn't, yeah, no, it's, it's the syllabus, this is what, this is the assignment, so, yeah. And you don't have to go all the way up to 10 either, but. Okay, how are we doing? I see some heads still down, so I'll delay a little bit. Okay, ready to try to go through some? So the ones I found, which is the definitive list of inventions our world has ever seen, by the way, okay? So this is, no one can change this after today. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But um, here's some that I found. I gave you, you got one right off the bat, light bulb, okay? So including modern electricity, right? Rather than candles, things like that, Okay. Stone tools. Anybody have that one down? So now are you guys like grading yourselves? You have to actually turn in your bulletins afterwards. I'll give you a letter grade, letter grade. So, okay. Uh, stone tools. Anybody have that? Right. So they say that uh, the, the, the invention of stone tools be able to shape our environment, the homes we live in, the world we live in, to be able to, to, uh, to get meat, to, all those kind of things that stone tools were one of the greatest inventions, most life-changing, earth-changing inventions we've had, okay? Next one, wheel? Okay, everybody's got that one, yep, got that one. Okay, you two in back, got that one, okay. Okay, okay, so wheel, yeah, wheel, pretty important. Um, um, and not just a, a circle shape, because I don't think circle shapes are that innovative, um, 
but specifically uh, circle shape a wheel with the ability to be able to put like an axle in it to be able to move things from place to place, right? So I think probably most of us had a wheel on there. How about this one? Anybody know what this is? Uh, close. It's actually a compass. Yeah, this is a magnetic compass, right? So uh, we think it was invented in, in, uh, in China, um, but a magnetic compass, right? So that uh, you think about uh, um, land travel, but you also think especially about, about um, sea travel, right? Uh, um, to be able to navigate our way to places, discover new countries, such as where we live, right? So, okay, that's that one, okay? You're grading yourselves. How about this one? Printing press, yeah, Gutenberg's printing press. And because we're Lutherans, I put Martin Luther's in there too because it happened at the same time, right? But uh, um, the, the printing, movable type printing press where we were, um, um, instantly the world was able to, to get information out in written form um, all over the populated world, right? Okay, printing press, pretty good. Are you guys, are you keeping tabs? Some of you are real type A, you are like... You're, you're grading yourselves, aren't you? And those of you that are type A, if you've got a spouse, you're probably like grading your spouses or you're going to want to compare is my guess. Yeah, we'll have to do some like marriage counseling afterwards. So, okay, uh, printing press. This one, know what that is? Yeah, it is telephone. If you can look close. Yeah, so it's telephone. This is a replica of Alexander Graham Bell's first telephone. So, uh, but the ability to communicate almost instantly, right, through telephone and now in our pockets, right? So, okay, you might have had that one. Uh, this one? Airplane? You had that one on your list? Yep, Wright Brothers, right? Uh, Wright Brothers. So, have any of you seen the commercial with the Wright Brothers lately where they invented the airplane and then they couldn't, they were sitting by each other arguing who gets to put their arm on the shelf? And then the one, the one has a tray and peanuts. Like, it's, yeah, it's really, it's quite funny. Okay, plane. Um, this one, you know what this one is? Penicillin. I thought I heard somebody say it. Yeah, this is yeah, this is Fleming actually in penicillin. So um, yeah, so uh, modern antibiotics, right? Penicillin uh, to be able to 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 kill things that in the past would have killed us, right? So modern antibiotics might be on there. Uh, this one, modern computer, right? This is the Apple II. So uh, Apple Apple invented it, um, but or commercialized it in some sense, right? Computers change our world. Okay. And I got one more. Mm -hmm. Anybody want to do the sound? Yeah. So now anybody that did the sound, you just dated yourself. Cause like some of these young guys are like, what are they doing? Like, what are, what is that noise coming out of their mouth? Like, why do they have to do that? Uh, yeah. So internet, right? So now we've got communication almost instantly around the world and uh, a fire hose full of information. Um, into us each and every day. So, okay, so how'd you do? Were some of those were on your list? I probably missed some as well. You want to argue with me afterwards? But I told you this is the definitive list. So, yeah, some of you are like, no, no, no. Okay, here's the point. Um, I think as we look back through our world's history, um, we can probably pick out some things that, that drastically changed the course of our world and us as people, right? Um, and, and in some sense where you wonder what it would have looked like just before versus just afterwards, where you can almost can't even imagine your life what it looked like before. Right? Today, Jesus is going to talk to us a little bit about how God's economy 
works sometimes differently than the worlds around us. And how when we are changed in Christ, when we come to understand who Christ is and what he has done, there's a comparison there. That our lives don't look the same after as they did before. Today we're going to ask ourselves a little bit, what, what might that look like? Jesus talks to his disciples, he talks to us today, to you, um, and talks about what that may look like after that change has taken place in him. So, so that's where we're headed today. Uh, those of you that like to kind of know where I'm headed, and sometimes I reserve the right to change where I'm headed during my sermon, but generally this is going to be where we're going. Uh, today, I forgot to mention, is the first of kind of a three-part series uh, you saw the Savior, or the, uh, the Savior sermon. Um, so we're going to have three lessons starting today uh, um, on what we call the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where Jesus is speaking to his disciples and, and, and to us. So this is the first in that. We're going to do two more, and we'll, we'll talk about a couple other topics in the subsequent weeks. But, uh, but today we're going to talk specifically about what does it mean to be blessed. So uh, on, on some level, what does God say is a blessing? How can we consider ourselves blessed? Uh, we'll have three different areas. We want to talk about change. What does that change look like? What it, what it, why is it necessary? Uh, the value that God places on things and therefore us. Uh, then lastly, joy, right? That, that we're able to live with joy. So those are going to be the three places that we head. So. Uh, you're welcome to follow along with me in your bulletin if you would like. Uh, kind of our introductory verses there, one and two, set the scene a little bit for where Jesus is at and what's happening here. And, and today that's important for us to understand because... Uh, in the course of Jesus' ministry, where, where he is, is preaching uh, this Sermon on the Mount, uh, in large part, his ministry has been on an upward trajectory. We'll say it that way. So uh, um, we talk about the disciples being called and those that are following him. Uh, if you wanted to talk in modern terms about like momentum, right, and, and buzz, and that Jesus, Jesus was going viral a little bit, right, that, that momentum was positive, that, that people were flocking to him, that people wanted to see him. Um, and we've got good reason for some of that. Number one, uh, his message was powerful. Number two, he was also uh, performing miracles, right? And so at this point in our text here today, um, that's where he's at. So a little bit on an upswing. But specifically in our text today, um, after those crowds had been kind of pressing in around and wanting to hear from him, um, he retreats to some degree and he talks to his disciples um, and some of those believers that would have been around him. So in large part, when we talk about the Sermon on the Mountain and today's section, which is called the Beatitudes, um, Jesus is talking to people that, that um, to believers that know who he is, right? And so he talks very plainly, and, and you have to imagine that some of it is that Jesus knows what is in the future for those believers, that on some level, Jesus knows what's in store, the road ahead for his disciples, for those that would call themselves followers of the way. And so today, he starts to kind of shift their mentality of what to expect if you call yourself a disciple or a follower of Jesus. And so um, that's important for us to understand. Jesus is talking in large part to believers, to disciples, folks like you. So, Okay, so let's, uh, let's jump into our text than this morning. Uh, and I want to look very specifically at this first verse here, verse 3. It says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, um, 
as I mentioned, these are called the Beatitudes, and Jesus is going to start out a series of, uh, of, of eight or nine um, blessings, right? Blessings. Is, and, and that term, Beatitudes, comes from the Latin term and basically just means blessings. And so Jesus is going to have a kind of a list of these here that he's telling his disciples about and you and I. But this very first one, I think, is, it kind of sets the scene for what we're talking about here. So Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So now two things. You're going to see that word blessed, blessed, repeated over and over again in this. Um, and, and that's a, that's a, a punctiliar reality. So Jesus is saying, blessed. They are blessed right now, right? And that's going to matter. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But they are blessed right now. And he finishes it with, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So that's a present tense, right? So what Jesus is saying is, poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what's he, what's he talking about there? Well, we can tell uh, he's saying this is a reality right here right now. Not something they have to strive for, not something that's way, way, way off in the distance, but this is a reality right here, right now. Okay, so who is Jesus talking about there when he talks about poor in spirit and that theirs is the kingdom of heaven? It's a good question. Uh, Maybe on some level, even the disciples disciples were wondering exactly who he's talking about. So our mind probably initially goes to, uh, we just think in economic terms. I think that's how we kind of do that, right? We think poor, okay, that means you don't have a lot, right? But clearly Jesus is talking about something different here So, because he's talking about poor in spirit, right? What's he talking about with the kingdom of heaven? Well, he gives us a little insight. So book of Luke, Jesus uses similar wording. It says this in Luke 4, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So this is Jesus um, reading Isaiah 61, saying exactly why he had showed up on earth, his purpose uh, of his ministry, right? To proclaim good news to the poor. So now we've connected those two things. And that, those two words, good news, you know that one. We actually, if you were here last week, we talked about it a little bit. Good news is called gospel, <laughs> Right? So this is, this is not good advice, this is not good suggestions, this is not uh, um, um, anything beyond that, it is good news. So Jesus is saying he is proclaiming gospel, good news, that something is done, right? That this is fact. So the gospel is proclaimed to the poor, right? But he goes on in Matthew 11, a little few chapters beyond our chapter today, he says this, Jesus replied, this is when John the Baptist reached out and said, who uh, um, wanted more information on Jesus, right? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. Here it is again. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Okay, so what is Jesus talking about here? When we talk about poor and the kingdom of heaven is ours, that good news, right? This is more, this is not less than, but it is absolutely more than when we think about economic terms. Talk about poor in spirit. When Jesus came to Jerusalem, when he came to Israel, um, he, he made an exclamation that they were like sheep without a shepherd. Right? 
And I think we can understand that a little bit. That's what he saw, right? Poor in spirit. Those that, that um, had no hope that was held out before them, right? Those that, uh, whether economically high or low, um, had no assurance of eternal life other than what the ruling religious party at the time demanded of them. Do more, be more like us, follow these rules, follow these laws, step in line, and at the end of your life, if you're lucky, you might get into heaven. And yet here Jesus is talking to his disciples in that setting, flipping that on its head. What he's saying to us is, poor in spirit, you and I, broken in our sin, at times lost without our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Jesus has come to bring good news. Gospel. And what's that good news? That you're loved. That you are forgiven. Right? That, that um, the economy of this world is not the same as the economy of God. That, that um, working your way to heaven simply does not work. But eternal life as a gift in Christ, that's exactly why Jesus showed up. And so he came to live and to proclaim good news to the poor, to you and I, to our hearts. Right? And so that's where this, these beatitudes start. In fact, that's where the entire Christian life begins with. Right? I heard someone say that um, God doesn't want nice Christians. Um, he wants new Christians. Now, that doesn't mean you can go out and just be angry, mean Christians, right? But here is the, the difference in that, that he wants new Christians, not nice Christians. And we talked about this a little bit last week, um, that the Bible has lots and lots of, of, of ways that we can live that give glory to God and honor the people around us. But at the heart and soul of it, it is good news. It is that you are forgiven because of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's where everything starts. And so um, um, God doesn't want nice Christians. He wants new Christians. He wants change, right? He wants hearts that are, are placed and, and um, focused on him because of what he has done for us. I heard another illustration that went like this. Um, God doesn't want, so we picture ourselves as caterpillars. Of course we all do, right? That's pretty common. Yeah, okay. That God doesn't want uh, just faster caterpillars, right? That's not the point of the Bible. Like just, just make you a little bit better of a caterpillar. Like you're a little faster, you can, what do caterpillars do? Eat leaves? Yeah, I don't know. They build things? I don't know. Okay. No, they don't build, right? Caterpillars just eat leaves. That's about all they do. So God doesn't want just a caterpillar that, that, is a better caterpillar, a faster caterpillar, uh, a caterpillar that's better at balancing their finances, a caterpillar that, that has their lives in order a little bit better, that ultimately God wants change, right? Not just something nice, but something new, something different. That's what we have in Jesus. That's what you have in Christ. You have been changed on account of Christ, on account of that good news that your sins have been washed clean. And when change happens, things start to look different. You start to look at yourself differently. You start to look at the world around you slightly differently. You start to look at, at, at the people in your life slightly differently. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about when he talks to his disciples. Believers whose hearts had been changed Jesus says, now, you're something different, 
and you're going to view the world in a way that is slightly different than the world is going to view you, okay? That's our first point. In Christ, we are changed, right, from the inside out. Then Jesus goes on to talk about what this looks like, what this can look like, the things that God values versus the things that we maybe generally would value. Now, I split up these, the rest of these Beatitudes into kind of three general sections. Uh, they fit pretty good, pretty good, right? Uh, but we're going to talk a little bit about um, attitude. So it, it changes our attitude, right? Um, it changes our actions. And then the last one, it changes our reactions to other people, okay? So when, when Jesus talks about God's economy, what he values is different than ours. We'll, we'll talk about that attitude, actions, and our reactions. So... You're welcome to follow along with me if you'd like. We're going to start with verses 4 through 6. It says this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We start out with, to some degree, attitude, right? Um, How we view the people around us, how we at times even view ourselves, Jesus says, when you've been changed is slightly different, right? That, that in our world generally, meekness is seen as a weakness, not a strength, right? In your work life, in the world in which you live, is um, um, on your resume, on your, do you, is your number one skill meek, right? Probably not. What's the, what's the five uh, characteristic deal that sometimes is on like, do any of you have that on your... Uh, your signature on your email, it's like the five. What's the name of it? It's like a personality test, something. Strength Finder, yeah. Yeah, so um, I, don't, I don't know that any of the Strength Finder ones have like meek. <laughs> like this is, I really want this job. Meek, I'm really good at that, right? Because that, that just generally doesn't, it isn't esteemed in our world. And yet um, we see that in, Jesus says, um, these are the things that, that are, the world may look down on, maybe at times even trample over, and yet God says, Um, These are not insignificant. You are not insignificant. The people in your life that we may say look like this, that are on the outsides of society looking in, those that, that, that don't have the same kind of accesses that we do, maybe you're included in that. Jesus says, um, these are not insignificant and you are not insignificant. And in the changed hearts and lives of believers, those folks are not insignificant to us as well. Okay, That's our attitude. Next section talks a little bit about our actions, verses 7 through 9. It says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So now we see a little bit more of action. What, what, what actions can come from hearts and lives that have been changed in Christ, right? Mercy, right? Seeking peace, right? These are the things that we're able to do in our lives, right? Actions. Not just hoping that this happens, but taking steps with the people you love in the workplaces in which you live and in your neighborhoods, okay? So attitudes, actions. Last one is our reactions, beginning at verse 10. said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So now we talk a little bit about our reactions, right? And I think this follows upon itself. When we 
get our attitude in line. We can control our actions, but what we can't control are other people's actions against us, but what we can control are our reactions to it, right? And so Jesus says, and this may be where um, even in that moment, Christ knew exactly what was in store for his disciples, for the followers that were, were at that point chasing him around, that many of them would leave, right? that most of the disciples would be martyred for their faith. Right? Jesus knew that this is what was in store. And we can control our reaction to it. What does Jesus say? Blessed. Now, here's the fascinating thing about all those beatitudes, all those blessed things. Um, they are a present reality and an ever increasing reality kind of as you go forward, right? Jesus is saying, you're blessed now. As believers, we are blessed now, right? This isn't something that we hold out for in the future. You're blessed now in the midst of all these things. And so we get a good sense that how God and Christ view our world and blessings and what they are are different than the world around us. I think you know that. You know that at least intuitively. Uh, the first time that I ever, I ever, uh, that that was ever driven home to me, uh, it was in third grade, fourth grade, fourth grade, okay? And um, how the world's economy, the things the world values are different than the things that our God values are different. Um, about fourth grade is, is when I realized that. Um, and you want to know what taught me that lesson? Shoes did. Yeah, shoes, okay? So uh, we moved from Alaska, and my mom's watching. Hi, Mom. Um, so I'm telling a story about, so don't feel bad, Mom, about the, any of this. So, uh, But if, you, if you're a mom that has a son that's a pastor, you'd assume that sometimes he's going to use you in sermons, so that happens. We moved uh, from Alaska to Grand Junction on the western slope about fourth grade, and, uh, and that was the, the first time that I had gone to like a real full-blown kind of public school. We had a, a Christian grade school up in Alaska, and Alaska just operated a little bit differently. So we, we moved to Grand Junction, and I went to Tope Elementary, which is still over in Grand Junction. Uh, and I got to school, and, and I quickly realized that the things that the world values maybe were a little different than what I understood had value, and most specifically, it was because of shoes. So I looked around, and I realized like, I didn't, have, like, I didn't have the right footwear. Like I, like, I wasn't wearing the right sneakers at that time. Now, any of you that are, are students of history and you're going to date yourself a little bit, um, this, this is about the time when, like, sneaker fashion started to take off, like, right? Where, like, athletic shoes started to matter, and you're going to see when it kind of culminated. But, um, but my mom thought, okay, well, i got to make sure that my kids kind of fit in in this school because... They're slightly weird already, but I'm going to help them fit in. No, we were okay. But, um, but, but so, so we went to, I said, Mom, I need some new shoes. I need shoes like this is what kids wear. That, like shoes matter. Shoes matter in fourth grade. I didn't know that, but now I know that and they matter. So take me to, to get some shoes. So we went, we went to this wonderful place called Payless Shoe Store, which is no longer in business, I believe. Uh, and my mom bought me some, some tennis shoes. And I got uh, Converse high tops which ironically, many of you probably have Converse in your closet right now. Now, Converse are kind of high value. They're valued in a sense that, because they're kind of retro, but um, at that time in fourth grade, you didn't, you didn't want Converse high tops. 
Like this was not what shoe you wanted to buy. And it was the only one that uh, my mom could afford or that she was willing to, to put money down on for a pair of shoes. And so she said, these are the, these are the shoes that I'm going to buy you. And, um, and to make it kind of worse, they only had a certain amount of sizes. So she's like, well, they only have these sizes. And so I don't know what size I was, but she bought me a pair of Converse that were probably like three sizes too big. And I said, mom, I said, I can't walk very good in these shoes because they're so big. And, uh, and so she just wadded up like toilet paper and put them in the toe. She said, that'll, that'll help. Now, keep in mind, I was not an especially athletic young man. So now I'm walking around in Converse high tops, which were not very cool, that were three sizes too big with like toilet paper stuffed in the toes. So now you can imagine a little bit uh, um, maybe how cool, how valued I was at school because of my high tops, right? So that was the first time I kind of got introduced to the things that this world values might be slightly different, right? Um, fast forward a little bit, because this is what generally the world values. Any of you sneakerheads, you know which you know what this is? Air Jordans, fours. There you go, Tatiana. These are Air Jordan fours. Thank you. Uh, these are Air Jordan fours with that are original with the concrete, right? Okay. So uh, if any of you are, some of you are sneakerheads, and you really love shoes, so you knew exactly, but this became cemented. So um, the last thing I wanted was, was Converse um, because the world did not value it, but if I could have anything in the world, if I could have begged my mom for anything in the world, it would have been Air Jordan 4s, which I think at the time were like 150 bucks, like crazy expensive back then for sneakers, right? Um, simply could not afford them, right? But those are the things that the world valued versus what the rest of us maybe could have. Right? Converse to Air Jordans. And all of this is because I was coming from a place that had a slightly different value on footwear. I mentioned that I came from Alaska. <laughs> if any of you have been to Alaska, if you go to Alaska, you can bring your Converse, you could bring your Air Jordans, but I think you should probably bring some of these. <laughs> Rubber boots because it is beautiful and it's awesome and it is messy and it is dirty and there's lots of snow and there's lots of rain and all of those kind of things, right? But maybe this is a good example for us um, in that at times the world's economy and what it values is different than, than what our God above values. And the truth is God values not a particular pair of shoes, but he values the person that's in them. And it does not matter what shoes you wear. <laughs> Converse that are three sizes too big, a pair of Air Jordans or a pair of rubber boots that ultimately God values the person rather than the things around it. And I think that's a valuable lesson for us as well, isn't it? Um, um, as we consider our own lives, as we consider the lives of those around us, to continue with that illustration, they're going to be wearing a lot of different footwear, <laughs> right? And I don't know what footwear you're wearing today, right? Um, whether it's the ones that you've always wanted uh, that have red soles, what are those, Jimmy Choo's, right? Uh, whether it's work boots or you're just happy that you have a pair of shoes on your feet. The, the reality of it is each and every one of us, our earthly situations are different and are going to change over time. And yet what doesn't change is our Lord and Savior and His value on you. 
And here's what Jesus is really trying to drive home for us. What, doesn't, what ought not to change in us whose hearts have been changed is how we see and we view and value the people around us. Not based on what shoes they're wearing or they're not, but on account of Christ and who he is and how he has valued them infinitely. Right? So, the values of God, slightly different than our own, right? those values are how we see the people around us. And lastly, guess what? We get to do that with joy. Verse 14 says this, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Right? God's economy and value might be different than our own, your circumstances may be difficult right now or maybe wonderfully blessed in an earthly sense. But what Jesus says is we can always have joy no matter our earthly situation, no matter what footwear is on our feet, that we find our joy ultimately in Him, that our salvation, our eternity is secure. No one can take that from us. Jesus preached these Beatitudes um, in the book of Matthew um, and I, we don't know exactly, you know, who all was listening at that time. Um, we don't know exactly maybe how far that message had, had gone. Um, but what's very fascinating is there's another beatitude, there's another blessed um, in the Bible, in the book of James. James was Jesus' half-brother. If you think back to Jesus' ministry a little bit, uh, things were not always a upward trajectory. And that, in fact, in his hometown, by his home people and his own family, he was rejected. Where was James in all that? We don't know. Uh, we do know that James went on uh, to lead the Christian church in Jerusalem and become a believer. And so it's fascinating that James writes one more beatitude and he says this, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Do you think that that blessed, that statement from James, I think it was probably informed by having watched his half-brother Jesus be persecuted, be attacked, put on trial, ultimately killed on a cross outside the city wall in Jerusalem. And yet, James says, crown of life, because of him, it is yours. It is ours because we are changed because of Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Now, I don't know which invention from the beginning you think was the most consequential, the most different from before to afterwards. But I can tell you this, spiritually and in fact in our world, there is no greater change than Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He's changed your hearts, turned them from darkness to light. He changes the values and the things that we value in our lives. His economy is slightly different than ours. And no matter how wonderful or difficult your life feels like right now, we can live it with joy, knowing that heaven is secure. Amen.